0: Oh, hello, Welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker. Happy Kentucky Oaks Day. It's Friday, April 30th, and plenty of action to behold at Churchill Dance today. But first, I'm going to introduce you to a very special guest. English-born trainer Thomas Morley chats with me about last Saturday's Dahlia Stakes victory at Pimlico with special Merchantique. As well as some of his godolphin flying start thoughts is a first great one winner and life in general as a father of two and husband to broadcaster Maggie Morley and of course also trainer on the tough New York racing circuit. Of course, I didn't let him go without asking him about his Oaks and Derby selections. So that comes at the latter section of our chat. It's a fun conversation that allows you to listen to some of the better moments in racing, the times when the stars do align and what that can truly mean. Tom, it's my pleasure to have you on Talk Racing To Me. We're just quickly chatting beforehand. Finally got it going as well, but you've never been on my show, but your wife has.
1: Well, one of us is a racing celebrity and the other one isn't. So um, I, I find myself lucky to follow in her footsteps.
0: She was a wonderful guest so you've got big shoes to fill in terms of the quality of the content you're going to provide.
1: <laughs> well I'll do my utmost to try and at least keep up with her.
0: Well let's let's start on the high. Uh, you were at Pimlico last Saturday where you had two runners Zantique and 91 Assault and the aforementioned Zantique is a very special mare for your barn. Uh, perhaps we can get started by how did you acquire her and how long have you had her?
1: Um, Greg Pileski of Vinla Racing um, told me that he would like to try and claim a horse, preferably a filly with a bit of a pedigree um, and try and have some fun with her on the track. And and maybe if, if she worked out, then um, then retire to the breeding shed. And um, we'd look through the winter aqueduct um, at a, a number of fillies, but nothing really floated our boat. And um, then this filly appeared in a maiden fifty. Um, she'd run twice already in the same condition, um, and she'd she she'd run very well. She was um I'm pretty sure she was second in both of her first two starts in the maiden fifty. Um, and I just felt that into Chief was a sire who was really getting going, and the mayor was a stakes uh, a stakes caliber performer herself, and um, Connor Foley, our Oracle Bloodstock, had actually told me when into Mischief Retired to stud, he said, you should have every client who has a broodmare breed to this horse. And I sort of laughed at him and said, but I've never even heard of the horse. And in hindsight, um, that was possibly a very naive thing of me to say. But um, possibly the most naive thing was that we didn't buy lifetime breeding rights for 25,000 apiece, which you could have done when he went to stud. Um, so this filly came up um it was we just got back from the fairgrounds and i went over to aqueduct it was a sort of misty april day um and i was a little on the fence when i saw her she was a little bit lighter than i thought she might be and um i have to give props to harry rice who was with me at the time he um he gave me a kick and he said tom look at her what 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 does she look like and I said well actually she looks like a long grass horse and he said what do you do well and he, I, so you know we went ahead we dropped the slip we were the only one in for her and she actually ran a little bit disappointingly that day she was fourth um and I was just hoping that we hadn't made a mistake and got her home and um you know we, at that point in proceedings, you're all, you're, you've are all you got to try and change something up because obviously sprinting on the dirt hadn't helped her. But the only thing that I thought was relatively encouraging in all of her first three starts was that she was staying on at the end of the race. So I've definitely felt that stretching out was going to be something this filly wanted to do. Um, you, you, I, you got her for
0: 50, right, is what you mentioned?
1: Yeah, we claimed her for 50, Um and Belmont was just opening, and they actually had a maiden seventy-five thousand maiden claiming seventy-five thousand going long on the grass um, in the book. And I thought that was a logical place to to try two things. One was going further, and the other one was uh, trying the turf. Um, and the race didn't fill, and it came back as an extra, and it didn't go again. And it came back as an extra, and it didn't go again. And I ended up doing something that i very very rarely do and ended up running in a race that i hadn't planned on running in um when the racing office rang me and told me that the maiden special weight that was against it was a relatively short field and probably not very good quality so wanting to run the filly towards the end of may um we took a swing at the maiden special weight and I, i have to say i was a little bit displeased when the overnight came out because um I was led to believe it was it was meant to be a quite a weak maiden special weight. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> Banal Rose was in there making her debut. At, um, I think she cost $1.5 million. So I was a, a, a little frustrated that we'd ended up in the spot. And we went off 30 to 1, rightly so. And that was the beginning of... A total love affair with this horse between me and her. Um, she travelled like she was never going to get beat, and absolutely thumped Chad's filly. Um, and that was that was the start of what has what has turned into a a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And um, but it's been one of the most memorable parts of my training career so far.
0: And she gave you the victory in the Dahlia stakes going long on the turf as you highlighted on Saturday at Pimlico, beating quite a talented filly coming back off a layoff in Crystal Cliffs, the two going head to head to the wire. But I remember we, we chatted about Zantique beforehand, because I was asking you if she was better going long on turf because she had one sprinting on the grass as well at Saratoga.
1: Kind of by default, Naomi. I think that um, in hindsight, she won a sprint race against a lot of other fillies who probably wanted to go a little bit further. And she's always shown an an enormous amount of sort of tactical speed in her long races. In fact, as a younger filly, she was just a little bit too keen, a little rank early in her races. I actually ended up taking blinkers off her. um, And that seems to have helped her settle a little bit. But certainly... Last year, um, and at the end of a three-year-old campaign, she was she was almost too headstrong to run in two-turn races. She wanted to jump and run, um, and Belmont was the track that she really showed her her best when she got to run in these one-turn long turf races. Um, and we'd always drawn a circle around Kentucky. Down, she's a she's not a big filly, and she's very well balanced and very athletic. And we we kind of highlighted the the stake at Kentucky downs, which is restricted to Phillies who haven't won a stake. I think it's called the one dreamer um, as her target for the fall. And I wanted to get a race into her before we got there. She'd um, come back at the beginning of her four-year-old campaign. She'd uh, run a very, very good second to Medita when she was probably a, a work short of, of being totally ready, but bounced right back and won the A Other than at Belmont towards the end of the meet. And I couldn't get a race to go for her as a prep for kentucky downs and she was actually in at monmouth the day before she won in saratoga it rained and it came off and i said to greg i said look we've we, we need to get some sort of a race into her and if she finishes last then so be it uh, but we'll bring her up to the spa we'll give her a run here going five and a half and, and make sure that um that Javier understands that even if she does is going to finish fourth or fifth, that we need to see her finish through the line and, and gallop out well with the, with the view to going to Kentucky dance. So of course she jumps out, she sits second on the right on the pace and, and wins going away. And, um, and I think it slightly hoodwinked us a bit that she could actually sprint, but she beat a filly called the London that day um, who definitely wants to go further. And, and, um, uh, it's a two other than at Saratoga. They're never easy, but I don't think it was the deepest field that she's ever run against. Um, So we did, we then had a sprint win under our our belt, but we stuck to the plan and went to Kentucky Downs and she simply didn't handle the track there for the first half of the race. Um, I've never seen this filly off the bridle and Johnny was having to niggle at her and give her a slap down the shoulder going up the hill. And I thought, the whole thing was an absolute disaster and they turned turn turn for home at the top of the hill and she just absolutely flew through the field. She finished fourth that day which was something that you and I had discussed that she'd been unlucky in a, a few of these stakes and 50 yards past the line she was miles in front so uh, she ran very very well that day.
0: Yeah, well, she clearly has shown to have a lot of affinity going along. And let's go back to the Saturday itself. Fergal Lynch uh, was aboard, did have to kind of get her out. There was a couple of horses uh, around her, produced her just in the nick of time, really. And you were very emotional uh, before talking to me. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what was going through your mind during that race and then afterwards.
1: During the race, um, you know, with, with fillies like this, it, you, it, it's very important to attain as much black type as possible for them before they go on to their breeding careers. And um, so during the race, I was actually thrilled with the trip that we were getting. We were following the favourite all the way around there um, and turning into the lane. There was no way she wasn't going to be in the first three. So that for the for, instantly was a little bit of a relief. But suddenly I, d- I realised that we had a real, real shot at getting getting to graham's philly and and possibly winning the race and a few years back i bought lambanida down to laurel and i um ran in the dahlia and got beat in a head bob by graham with secret message so um with 100 yards to go i was just praying it wasn't going to happen again that, that we had enough horse to get there and look she's um She's incredibly tenacious. She worked out a great trip. It was a fabulous ride by Fergal. Um, and and she got there in the nick of time. And, and honestly, galloping out, um, I, I I mean, I think it's probably the best ride she's ever been given. Because she really did have a lot of horse left at the end. And, and no one was going to beat her. And just, as I said to you after the race, I was actually willing the wire away a little bit
0: just so he would have more time to get to crystal cliffs is that it
1: correct exactly
0: (laughs) well i have to agree with you fogle gave her an absolute stellar ride he's one of our senior riders very tactically adept and to give the listener some background information on crystal cliffs she was second in the grade three regret about 301 days before she lined up in a dahlia behind Harvey's little Goy, who went on to win the great one, Queen Elizabeth, placed third in the British Cup, Philly, Metro. So Crystal Cliffs is, is a quality filly. And I dare say we're going to see her back winning at least a grade two later on this year. But Xantique, as you mentioned, Tom, tenacious and, and got that win. And now is a, a stakes winning mare by Inter Mischief. Do you have any imminent plans for her?
1: Um no, I got her home. Um, she had a long day down to Pimlico. Um, <clears throat> they left here at three thirty in the morning, um, and then obviously ran and then came back that night. And she's not she's not a big heavy filly, and she 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 runs so hard that she takes her racing a little bit hard. So I, I actually though she's come out of this race possibly the best I've ever seen her come out of a race, which means that the twice I've travelled her sorry the three times I've traveled her she's run the best three races of her life and she's run down at Kentucky Downs at Pimlico and she wasn't stabled at Saratoga when she came up and, and won she shipped up on the morning of the race and, and ran at one so I'm beginning to get a little bit of a, an inkling in the back of my head that we need to do some traveling obviously a race like the Eton Town at Monmouth um in June would be a logical spot um and I've Never run a horse at Colonial Downs, but I have a feeling that this is a filly who um, possibly could end up there in September. I'm a little bit on the fence of whether I want to go back to Kentucky Downs, having seen her struggle with the first part of the race there so much. But um, Saturday was kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say mission accomplished, but we we now have to try and see if we can win a great stake with this filly. She certainly, um, all the numbers from the race came back as if she's getting better and you know she is only five so fingers crossed we can have a productive year with
0: her I certainly hope so as well this is a, a med that I've heard of even before and I do believe I've actually patted her at your barn because as you mentioned Harry Rice is one of her biggest fans so is. Always- Bobby Clark one of the producers on uh, the New York Racing Association uh, shows so she has a little bit of a fan base and i really really do wish you all the best with her as i also want to talk um a little bit more about uh, your experience in horse racing but before that you mentioned uh, racing at the fairgrounds now you and your family have gone over to new orleans uh, quite uh, on a few well, quite a few times When did you start going over there? And what is it like? It's one of the race courses that I have not been able to get to yet, but really want to in the future.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a a weird winter travel because most people from the East coast go to Florida for the winter, but, um, you know, we have a smaller stable. We do have a number of turf runners and obviously 91 assault is in our barn. He's uh, a Louisiana bred and a turf horse, So we, we kind of target that meat a little bit, um, with, with some of our turf horses and some of our younger horses, um it is the, the most wonderful city for a young family to live in um and we adore taking the girls down there uh, this winter didn't quite work out for us to go down as a family but we we certainly will be next winter um and it's um certainly you know the first time we ever went down there maggie took uh me down there for my birthday um uh, in april one year and we made a kind of kind of made a plan then that we would um, aim to take horses down there the following year. They have the most beautiful turf track, um, and and the dirt surface is fabulous to train on as well. Um, and you get rip roaring crowds every weekend. So if you if you enjoy running your horses in front of large crowds of people, then it's a great place to take your horses for the winter.
0: Sounds like an incredible atmosphere. But you do have to tell me, what is it like trying to have strings in these different places and especially then bringing your family as well? Because you, uh, as aforementioned, are married to Maggie and you have two lovely little girls in Grace and Willow. How how do you make that happen? Are you able to have a house down there or what are the logistics?
1: Yeah, we normally rent a place um, and we stay in New York until Christmas. um, And then we normally go to England for Christmas to be with my family and then after christmas we generally take lock stock two smoking barrels the dog the goldfish the children <laughs> um and we move down to new orleans for january february march and then uh, maggie normally is traveling between uh, fairgrounds in arkansas and aqueduct doing her um sports role and that you know it, it it allows her to do that out of there. Also lot, you know, we, we just, we make it work and it's a it's a wonderful city to have young children. in. it means we don't have to tolerate four foot of snow in New York for three months of the year.
0: Well, that sounds like a good reason uh, to move anywhere towards the South. But as you mentioned, most people go to Florida but certainly on my bucket list to, to go to New Orleans and the fairgrounds. Now, I also wanted to talk with you about something, an experience that we both share the girl from flying start program. I, I do dare believe it was called the Dali flying start when you were still on it because w- which year were you? I, I can't actually exactly remember, but it must've been was, a little bit ago.
1: I was the third year of the entire program and I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was. That would age me.
0: Oh, wow. No, I can, <laughs> I think we're at, what are we now on like the 16th or 17th year? <laughs>
1: yeah. Something along those lines.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. You have to tell me what it was like back then because i dare say it's changed inevitably over the years
1: yeah it's possible that we caused some of the change actually uh, <laughs> it was thanks um, <laughs> a little bit it was the best two years of my life um prior to meeting maggie and starting a family and starting my own business it was just um it was extraordinary and i owe, owe, owe a huge amount of debt and gratitude to his highness Sheikh mohammed um for the opportunity to do the course, I mean, it, it is just the, it is the best program out there. I always say to people, it affords you 10 years of experience, and two, you're fortunate enough to travel between um, Ireland and England, and then to America, Australia, Dubai, um, and then finishing the course again in, in Europe and for graduation. Um and I was lucky enough to get to work with Owen Harty, with Gay Waterhouse, uh, with Tim Easterby, and uh, all of that as a as a young person, in, including the day-to-day work on the farms, the lectures, it's it's just the most extraordinary opportunity. Um, and obviously, as these things grow and develop, they get more and more refined and um you know, I think it's been pretty tough for the guys who are doing it at the moment because of the COVID restrictions and the travel. Yeah. Um, certainly, I've been doing a lot of mentoring to people who who are on the course and trying to help them get as much of the global um, idea of it as they can because they've been they've been confined to quarters, as it were. But hmm. um, you know, it was a it it, it is the most wonderful program it's produced a number of people who are in the upper echelons of their respective parts of the industry and um it's a it's a very very strong alumni to be a part of i found that wherever i am in the world um you know that they are people that you can look up and communicate with and it's a it's a tremendous idea and concept
0: I agree. It was a wonderful experience for me. as well. would you say it was a catalyst for you ending up moving to the United States or talk to me a little bit about your experience beforehand? What, what made you want to come to the U S and train over here?
1: So I graduated from the course and I went to work for Jeremy Nazida for four and a half years as his assistant. Um, and I was lucky to be with Jeremy during, um, some very very strong years of his his training career we had um 60s icon won the saint ledger while i was there fleeting spirit was the european champion sprinter uh, but we weren't afraid to run horses in america either we bought a number of fillies over for the breeders cup uh, wilco had just won the juvenile and then uh, we were lucky enough to have awesome act in the yard as well who um never run on dirt but he was an awesome again and he shipped out of a conditions race at kempton and we bought him here and he won the gotham um ran third in the wood memorial and he went on to the kentucky derby and at the end of my four years i i spoke to jeremy and said what would be the logical next step for me to take up take up my own license and he said i really feel that you should go to america and spend a couple of years there and um So Steve Hillen and Jeremy very kindly uh, liaised with Eddie Keneally um, and got me a job as the foreman um, with Eddie. And I flew out to Florida um, and was lucky enough to come up in a barn where Brendan Walsh was the assistant um, and Eddie was obviously the trainer. And uh, we had some fabulous horses there at the time, like custom for Carlos, et cetera. I traveled with Brendan as his foreman through Florida to Keeneland and then on to Louisville, um, where he was actually kind enough to let me stay with him as well. So I spent an enormous amount of time with, with Brendan. Um, and then we went to Saratoga where we had a phenomenal meet. I think we won 12 races, uh, which was for, for a smaller string out of Kentucky it was a, a huge meet. And it led to Eddie, um, having an opportunity to take over some New York reds and, and open a division in New York. And so when Brendan uh, went back to Kentucky, I moved to Belmont and took over a division for Eddie there and set it up and started, started uh, Keneally racing in New York for Eddie. Uh, And we had a wonderful 18 months doing that. And um, by that time I'd already decided that I wanted to stay in America. I, I really, I'm, I'm not a, um, I, I I get itchy feet. I love travel and the opportunity to, to move around and see new things. And I love the caravan idea of racing um, where you, you pack up and move on to the next place. And so I went home, I discussed it with my family and I, I took a couple of months to, to really make sure that it was the right decision. And um, I flew back to America and I actually sat on the fourth floor of the Grandstand at Aqueduct having just gone into the gaming commission and attained my first ever trainer's license. And I sat on my phone and I rang everyone on my phone who had a horse in America. Um, And Tony Gray was kind enough to agree to send me my first horse.
0: Wow. I mean, that must have been quite like a vivid moment. Can you describe what was going through your mind that day? Because I mean, I'm assuming it's excitement but also a little bit of anxiety as in we're, we're doing this now
1: yeah there's a huge amount of trepidation at the end of the day i'd spent my whole life prepping myself to train in europe um and then i would made the decision to sacrifice those um contacts those bridges that you'd built um you know hoping that um, if I'd started training in Europe, that I would have started with 25 or 30 horses. And, and I decided that actually America was a place where young people are generally given a little bit more of a chance. And, and I, I don't want that to sound detrimental to the European industry. But I think it's, it's a lot tougher to get off the ground there than it is mm-hmm. here. Um, and at the end of the day, we started with one horse. Uh, no webbings. Um, one bridle. <laughs> one saddle, no pad. Um, and I was the groom and Maggie, Maggie exercised the horse every day. And we, um, literally started like that and he won a second race and, um, it it started from there.
0: Wow. So I, I do believe this was around 2013, right?
1: Yeah. April, 2013.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you were already together with Maggie then at that time, when did you meet her?
1: I'd met Maggie um, a couple of years before in Saratoga, um, and it took her a while to agree to go out with me on a date, which is um, not really that surprising, let's be honest. Um, But somehow I managed to hoodwink her into dinner on Breeders' Cup weekend in 2011, Um, and we had a riot that night, and it just grew from there. And 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 you know what she does for a living. And how good and successful she is at it is, um, you know, it's an enormously proud thing for me to see her grow into the the phenomenal broadcaster that she is. Um, The level of attention to detail that she puts in and the hours of work, as well as being a mother to two children. And and my husband is, um, you know, she's an example to all young people who want to get involved in this industry.
0: Well, you took the words out of my mouth there. She's a role model for me. I highly look up to her and and listen to the way she looks at horses, the way she analyzes races. And even in my short period of time, being able to kind of shadow her a little bit whilst I was at the New York Racing Association, I felt like I've gained so much knowledge. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, but you've done quite decently yourself over the last couple of years as a trainer. I'd love to quickly revisit the moment that have you gone away, provided you with your first ever grade one winner in the ballerina stakes at Saratoga. I mean, of all places to win your first grade one, Saratoga must be pretty special.
1: Uh, it, it, <clears throat> it, still, um, it still makes me terribly emotional today, thinking about that day. Um, it was Travers Day. She was a filly who um, had been to all ends of the earth um, and somehow ended up in my shed an enormous amount of thanks to Becky Thomas at Sequel um, for the the chance to train her. Um, and she was a very, very special mare. She, she'd been doing incredibly well on the track when she came to us, but just watched her blossom over a period of actually a very short space of time. She came to us in um, April and by the time Travers Day came around, we'd, we weren't thinking about smaller New York bread steaks anymore. We were we were having a swing at, at the ballerina and she would um, she just blossomed here in New York. Um, and obviously being a New York bread, it was very special to bring a New York bread home um, and I, and and a very uh, yet another f- f- amusing story of how we got there because um, she'd won um, a stake at Belmont, restricted to New York Reds, and she would have gone off probably odds on in the Union Avenue in Saratoga. And I came home one night and I said to Maggie, "I said the way this filly's working, I'm going to do something slightly insane." She said, "Well, what? and I said, "Well, I'm going to run her in the Honourable Miss." And I'm pretty sure my wife thought I'd lost my marbles. We'd never won a stake in Saratoga. We had a filly who was going to be odds on. And she said as much. She said, why would you not try and win the Union Avenue when you're going to be odds on in there? And so off we trundled to the Honourable the, the honourable Miss with these words ringing in my ears that I was making a horrific decision. And she won the Honourable Miss and... Um, that was a very very special day. That was our first graded stake. But Travers Day is a, you know, it's for New York. To me, it's bigger than Belmont Day, and that might be sacrilege to say that. But um, it's Saratoga, and it the the ballerina that year was run very early in the afternoon. It was the first of of the Grade Ones run that afternoon, and I stood with uh, um, one of my great clients Rob Mazziello and um, watched the race and Gary Barber hadn't come and Becky Thomas hadn't come and um, about 400 people got trampled when she got there and won three strides from the line Um, and Rob and I Rob's my age and and we we took the roof off the grandstand Um, and then it was a little bit it was a little bit surreal it was a bit Lonely, to be honest, because mag was still working, and the owners weren't there and and so I actually ended up going back to the barn and hanging out with the Philly for an hour or so um, before wandering over to to watch the travers and it was um but it's it it'll it'll forever be etched on my mind, and um you know my parents have been enormous racing racing fans and uh part of the game for a very, very long time and so for them to get to see the fruition of of a, of us getting to Saratoga in the first place with a Philly to run in a grade one, but then to win it, um, I took the saddle towel and I put it in a FedEx envelope and I sent it to my dad and it's framed behind um it's it's downstairs in their house, still with the with the dirt of Saratoga all over it. And every no. time I go home it, it it just resonates every time I see it.
0: Oh my God, that that's incredible. I, I do believe I've I've seen some of the footage and that Maggie was able to join you in the winner's circle. Uh, highly emotional as well. And then there's a and picture.
1: Very pregnant. Yeah. Very <laughs> pregnant. I was a little concerned we might be having a baby. <laughs> oh,
0: I mean, the the way you guys were, were celebrating it was... It, you were right. You kind of took the roof off there. It was... It was incredible. It's incredible. It, it actually made me smile watching it and I wasn't even there. And then there's a picture of you sitting in the stall of have you gone away afterwards? Is that what you were talking about the hour after that you kind of just went back and, and took in the moment?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it would have been very easy to lose yourself in the hubbub of Travers Day and um, I just felt that you know without knowing that I'd, I didn't want to be a distraction to Maggie for the rest of the day um you know I'd already put her through the ringer at three o'clock in the afternoon and Travis wasn't up for another three or four hours and I you know you just you you want to be with with the team and I went back and I had a couple of beers at the barn with the boys and they went all went home and and I I did I, I kind of just sat in a stall for a bit and took in what the 1200. Dollar uh, breeding stock sale purchase, and the young English guy had just pulled off in in Saratoga. It was um, it was a very very sort of special moment with just just her and I. Yeah,
0: I, I remember the picture, and it really resonated with me. And that that sounds a little bit odd but you know, I've been an exercise writer for years, and I remember sometimes you know on the quiet moments, or even in between when we had to wait around in Hong Kong, I go and sit in the stall or hang out with them because there's something there's something good about a horse and and being able to be around them and what they've given us and especially her what she's meant to you so yeah I, I thank you for you know sharing this with us and it's it's quite That's quite the story and and quite the feel good story, I believe as well. Now I I know that you're a busy man and I heard your little girls in the background. So I don't want to uh, take up any further of your time. I didn't prep you for this. So (laughs) if you don't have one, it's fine. Do we have any uh, early thoughts on the Kentucky Derby?
1: If I was a betting man, then um, I would be betting in the Oaks.
0: Oh, do tell.
1: And it's, it's not a, Surprising pick, but I just think Malathat is a different class to the finishes running against. Um, uh, as far as the derby is concerned, I would be, I honestly will be a little disappointed if if Sheikh Mohammed doesn't get his win. Um, to me, he has the best cult in the race, he's got a good draw, he's beaten everyone he's come up against so far. He handles any sort of a track surface, I think he'd be very difficult to beat, but um. He's going to be a short price as well, um, but I, I really think Todd's Philly is probably a different class to the rest of them. I hope I'm right.
0: Oh, I hope you're right as well. Of course, Johnny Velasquez's rider, uh, uh, the, the rider that also gave you your first grade one stakes victory, so I guess a little bit of um small Johnny's, my, Johnny's
1: my grade one man. He also rode <laughs> Carrick as well.
0: That's, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, Johnny just best of the best uh, wonderful representative to our sport highly accomplished rider that hopefully will continue for much longer to come uh, i f- feel very fortunate that we can see what what he does in the saddle but th- talk about a little bit of your relationship with him i mean for everyone listening
1: he's a master isn't he he's, yes. he's um <laughs> he's just a master it's like watching um mike smith who's a master of his trade um frankie is still in my opinion in the top three riders in Europe um and Johnny um very much fits that mold here and he can ride anything he can ride a two-year-old in a five and a half furlong dirt sprint and he can ride a horse in a mile a quarter turf race you can take him to Royal Ascot and he can win there he's just a master and and it's always a it's always a, a pleasure when you can get him on a horse especially a good horse um out of out of your barn because you know that he's going to have done all the homework and prepped himself um for the race and he's he's um you know he's just a a pleasure to watch ride his rhythm on the back of a horse is still second to none um and I, I love watching him I love watching Joel and and Javier as well they're, they you know they they're three extremely talented riders but then you've got all the 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 young bucks as well who um you know it's a very competitive colony that we have here in new york
0: it truly is which makes for a wonderful sporting spectacle and to get back to johnny velasquez to me he is the example of how a hall of fame rider ought to be of course he is a hall of famer but just that the the way he as you just mentioned the way he places horses into race the way he can read it the way he does his work. and then Also, as a media person, I can see how he's capable of explaining certain complex situations or principles, uh, talking about, for example, you know, whip use and things like that. He's very articulate and he's a very good representative, of course, all his years uh, in this industry and experience have, you know, have allowed him to develop the way he has and he's, you know, he's taken, he's taken the reins and run with it, basically, but I don't want to keep you for too much longer. If you want to, this, this came up to me as I was listening to you over the last, uh, what is it? Half an hour now that we've been talking, um, your love for horse racing and, and your passion is prevalent and just shines through. If you were to sum up what horse racing means to you and what it's given you, how would you put it?
1: It. it- without the support of my parents it could have given me nothing but at the same time it's given me absolutely everything um it's allowed me to travel it's allowed me to experience different cultures around the world it means that i have friends from japan to australia to south america through europe to north america um but at the end of the day we owe it all to to one thing and that's the horse itself the equine athlete and at the end of the day i'm i'm a fervent believer that we're custodians of theirs and we are asking um an animal to be an absolute elite athlete um and we through the years have developed and bred them to be better and faster than they ever have been before but what they give back to us is is second to none and 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 really the good ones last in your memory forever but so does some of the more difficult ones some of the slower ones some some of the sweeter ones who struggle to get to the winner's circle and and they can be tremendously gratifying days as well as winning a Winning a smaller race, uh, maybe for a smaller client at a smaller track, with a with a horse of lesser ability, can can just mean as much as as winning on the big days.
0: Well, nobody can see, but I'm sitting here smiling. Tom, thank you so much.
1: That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> big thank you to Tom for being such a wonderful guest. Uh, it's always a pleasure to listen to people's experiences and especially their highlights so we're all reminded why we love horse racing now as i said at the beginning of the show it's kentucky oaks day and the kentucky derby is in one more day first saturday of the month of may coming up very very quickly and of course in the money media has been covering this extensively so do go to in the money sign up for in the money plus so you get all the transcript and all the notes from all the podcasts, saving you having to listen through it all highly recommend it's just such a wealth of knowledge all comprised by the in the money media team really taking everyone's handicapping expertise and putting them together so just highly recommend of course go to Twitter to In The Money podcast on Twitter because they are tweeting out some stellar information. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, you probably ought to do so as well at Naomi Tucker. Tom Morley has a Twitter account too that you ought to have a look at if I can pull this up really quickly. I'm trying to do a a JK where you go very slowly and you pull it up whilst you're talking that's it morley racing tom morley at morley underscore racing really really great content and of course uh, you can follow maggie morley as well as we have arrived at the final short segment of this podcast. Uh, Let me quickly run you through my selections for the Kentucky Oaks Marlon 8th, the 11th race at Churchill Downs on April 30th. Of course, if you're listening to this and the race has already been, you can absolutely gloat about how right or how wrong I was. I have no issues with that. So here we go. I use the number six travel column on top. Brad Cox train filly, which was very sharp in the fairground oaks from the outside gate, went straight to the front, Used a lot of energy to do so. Head to head before dropping back on the quarter of the leader. But ridden patiently by Florent before he produced her. And she just kicked clear with confidence. To me, I wouldn't say she's the most talented of all these. There's a lot of untapped potential in some of these. But she's a professional in comparison. She knows what it takes to win. She can be right on the pace. She can come from off it. She's just been given this incredibly well-rounded education by trainer Brad Cox. And that is my reasoning for using her on top and using the number 10, Malafat, in second. I hope I say this correctly. I keep correcting myself here. Top lecture trainee, she had an impeccable burst of speed late in the grade one Ashland. Uh, being able to collar past the champagne just before the wire did change her lead later on. And hence I was saying to me, Malafat is just a bit more unexperienced in comparison to travel column. But for her to be stretching out back out to a mile and an eighth, she won over a two starts back on a sloppy aqueduct service in the Demoiselle. I feel like she is the out and out talent when it comes to that distance and she might even be able to go further, which is highlighted by Tom's opinion of her as well. Underneath, I use a number five pasta champagne. She ran within a head of Malafad, who's not favorite. And she's 15 to 1 morning line. If that isn't handicapping value, I don't know what is. Did Javier move too soon on her? Maybe in the Ashland. She was in front by herself for a long way and tried her harder. So use her underneath going to use the number seven Ava's Grace being the pace influence but unfortunately she will not be lining up as my 50 to one long shot that I really wanted so end up uh, using number 12 search result underneath because I feel like she's the speed now that Ava's Grace is out and she might be able to comfortably sit in front and take them there but the reason I kind of go against her three to one morning line is I she was on the left lead all the way in the gazelle she just doesn't move the way that some of the other fillies do. She's not the biggest fan. So I'm going to go against her. And in the Kentucky Derby. now this is when it, it gets tough. I am trying to beat 2-1 to Morning line favorite essential quality. Even though he is the most likely winner of the race. He has done nothing but deliver. Yet another impeccably well prepared trainee from the Brad Cox button. And his first Kentucky Derby runner. Which is weird to think about Uh, really really hard to believe and of course godolphin still looking for that inaugural kentucky derby victory they've gone zero from 11 i hope that this year is their year as tom and i were talking about the godolphin flying start program it has also changed my life i'm here in the u.s because of this program i was able to um stay in kentucky for about five months and then a month in california because of it and absolutely fell in love with the triple crown trail and american racing so i owe it everything to so for his highness sheikh mohammed i would love essential quality to be able to get his nose in front when it matters but i am trying to beat him as i highlighted with the number nine hot rod charlie who was so strong in the Louisiana Derby, got a 99 buyer for that. There was plenty of sort of speed battle going on just when the gates opened, but use his early pace to sort of get to the front and keep on finding. I really, really think that he he can be a really wonderful colt later on in life as well. Do wonder if the mile and eighth is really, really what he wants is by Oxbow. But um, we'll see how he will fare. I think he's going to get a good stalking position. He, he's not an out-and-out out lead, need the lead type of horse. Of course, Dog O'Neill has won this twice before. Nyquist 2016, I'll have another as well. So Hot Rod Charlie, my 8-to-1 price play that I'm using to try and beat essential quality. And then underneath, I use horses that a lot of people would also have on their radio, which is the number 15 Rock Your World, who's very well, cleverly prepared by John Sadler. Uh, he made his dirt debut in the Santa Anita Derby. And blew the field away there. No, field the nine. You, you can say how strong was it? Who did he really beat? Well, beat Medina Spirit. Uh, Bob Baffert trainee. Coin game there. Four and a quarter length. It was just incredible to see a horse making his debut. And then running a triple digit buyer. He's the only horse in this field that has run a speed figure like it. Will most likely be one of the main pacemakers in here. And in a field of 20, it does help when you're kind of out of the way of all the scruff and the scramble and the traffic. So I'm using Rock Your World underneath. And then I wanted to go with either Mandaloon, hoping he would bounce back to his risen star form, or Known Agenda. Now, Known Agenda was my preference before the draw. Drawn on the rail, not ideal. Not ideal. You know, it's not really the place to be. But then again, top Ledger, I Ortiz is a pair that is capable of navigating a trip and, and was he told getting a horse ready for this. I thought his Florida Derby was very, very strong. Being able to come from behind the pace and really use a strong turn of foot. To overturn Greatest Honor, Soup and Sandwich. Perhaps not the strongest renewal either, but I think that's kind of a theme here. There is a... You know, a lot of races that we say, oh well, this wasn't that good. This uh, there's no monster in this field. So why not start picking these price plays? And nonagennas six to one is a value you're probably never gonna see ever again on top platter and tease unless it's in the Kentucky Derby. So I use him underneath and probably just going to box them all for a box exacta, and hopefully have a bit of uh, have a bit of fun come Saturday. So as I highlighted before, I might be completely wrong. But that's okay. It's the Kentucky Derby. By virtue of being a horse player, by virtue of being a handicapper, you ought to wager on the Kentucky Derby because it's way too much fun. But also, JK highlighted this before. The pools are significantly more sizable than on any other day. Now, what does that mean? If you're right and you're playing against other horse players, you get a bigger payoff than when nobody else is playing. So that's enough reason to get your $5 bets on, your $2, whatever you want to call it. But of course, look at all the in-the-money media content first, and then make up your own mind. Good luck, everyone. See you next week, as we are starting to lead up to the middle jewel of the Turbo Crown. And that's, of course, my turf here at Pimlico Race, Schools, where I am right now recording. So there you go, everyone. Have a wonderful weekend, and catch you again next week.